This courtroom is now in session. The case of TMI versus Tyson Pharma. Prosecution is your witness. Your Honor, I'd like to call to the stand the pain receptors in my brain. Objection, Your Honor? Sustained. Your Honor, please shut the fuck up and pay attention while we pull a KRS-One and drop some fucking knowledge on ya. Yeah. Yeah, a little crazy. <laughs> a little crazy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it started off like just everything off, like everyone oversleeping, even Evie. After the last few weeks that the collective has had, it's been a lot. Like family dynamics purging, tragedies happening, uh, massive shifts in people's timelines and in stories and beliefs. And it's just been a wild flipping ride yeah this is the first time that i actually got to feel what the energy is feeling for people who are just getting their first taste of awakening meaning like oh, okay your rug has been fucking ripped out from underneath your feet good yeah luck. you can't until you're at that point wrap your head around it and then maybe at some point like later down the line those same people are like oh that's what was going on that's all you can hope for is like the people around you who are who are waking up and getting that point and getting it at some point down the road, you know? Yeah, it's been interesting to say the least. I'm hopeful. This is the first time in a long time that I've been hopeful, super hopeful, not just like on a teetering scale of like, we're fucking doomed, but hopeful that we really turned a corner in regards to a collective shift of some normalcy. And I know that's crazy to say with what's going on in the world and with Ukraine and COVID and everything, uh, all the other things under the sun. But there is this sense of people waking up to censorship, waking up to injustice, waking up to the paradigm. Yeah. Yep. So can I tell you something? Yeah, please. I wasn't going to mention this at all. And now all of a sudden I'm like being guided to. And oh, good. I love this shit. I was listening to a Mozart piece this morning. Right. This one, it's, it was from a larger composition. That was the last one he ever did that he never actually finished, but it's the most famous piece of it probably. And it's called Lacrimosa and it's not a happy one, but it, it essentially the word means crying. Like your lacrimal glands are, are what secrete tears. And, and I was listening to it and I was really just like blown away as I was listening to it as, as a whole for like. I don't know, the millionth time and realizing that it was like such a perfect musical representation of like what it is to sob, like starting from before you're crying, the emotions leading up to it, to crying, to sobbing, to taking a break and, and irrationally laughing for a second 
to finishing crying, to taking a deep breath. All of that is represented so clearly in that piece to me. I was so blown away by that. And it felt so cathartic and healing Mm -hmm. in a strange way. And uh, it was overwhelming almost. And I, I think what happened was I didn't see the connection to the collective until we started talking with what I was with why that and so yeah just wanted to throw that out there so it looks like our theme music may have to be changed for today's episode do you want to talk about the surgery there's so much to unpack there will you keep me on track cork okay yeah all right yeah i'm really hoping you wanted to go in this direction because of what you've had to experience and go through and just the beautiful knowledge awareness an outcome that has happened because of. So you want to like dive into like, holy shit. Yeah. Let me start at the, what I perceive as the beginning of this, right? Okay. So plotting along, we're doing our thing, podcast, I'm doing my thing in life. Then my, myself and my family uh, got COVID, right? And we're dealing with that. And then just just as we're starting to get over that, my cat gets sick that I had for 16 years and then, and then has to be put down. And then before we have a chance to pick up his ashes, I have surgery, the recovery for which is a very long, and very painful recovery process. It was not a dangerous surgery, just unfortunately the nature of it is such that it's, it's painful and, and a long recovery process, right? So I want to just illustrate that there was, it was like cascading failure. That's what it felt like that was good that were going on in my life. Mm-hmm. And so then I have the surgery and I can't like do anything. I can't, I basically, I, I couldn't really sit upright and I, I couldn't really stand up. I could kind of just basically lie down. So there was just work, uh, things around the house, taking care of or playing with my daughter, just all these limitations, things that, that I hadn't fully thought through that I, I, I wasn't able to do, right, as I'm trying to recover. And then, of course, there's a complication, and I end up back in the hospital due to some internal bleeding that just was a, a series of, of bad luck post-surgery and it wasn't fun. I had had to go into the hospital at like midnight and into the ER and without getting into too many gory details, I had to get a catheter, ended up getting admitted into the hospital overnight. And basically they, when the the doctor came in and, and said that a lot of these problems were because I was not managing my pain. And as a result, my muscles and parts of my internal organs like locked up, completely locked up because the amount of pain that I was in, I was way past taking deep breaths to get past this, right? They'll put it like that. So they put me on painkillers on an IV trip. Now, I think we've talked about this before. I have a history of opioid addiction, right? So when I originally had the surgery, I declined pain medication. I said, I'll take Tylenol and ibuprofen. Unfortunately, that didn't cut it after the internal bleeding stuff. So I'm like, I just want to recover. And, and I want this 
to, to move past this and start feeling better. So they said, you, you have to manage pain and, and they're like, you have to take these painkillers and then talk to your doctor or do what you have to do if you have a history of, of addiction, but you have to, you have to treat this and, and it, it, it worked, which first was the first major revelation that I had was I had a bias because of my opioid addiction that they didn't have a functional person purpose aside from comfort. Like if someone had a terminal illness or something like that, if there wasn't actually really a, I, I, it was erroneously thought that there really wasn't a need for, for opioids to manage pain. And until I was found myself in a place where my body was doing things involuntarily because pain not being managed. So, so that kind of smashed something in my head that this, this preconception that I had, first of all, that was, it was big, it was sort of a big thing for me. I didn't want to admit that. Then I'm like, I have to wean off of these. I have to go through opioid withdrawals. This is something I never thought I would have to do. My opioid addiction was 16 years ago, right? That I was, I was using illegal drugs. And so now I'm, I'm on a prescription and, and have to, to deal with things. And, and it's a, a nasty process because I have PTSD from the trauma related to getting off of drugs. Yeah. Mm, and, a lot of people going to resonate to that. Yeah. And like the way a smell can bring emotions flooding back in, there were just certain things that like, oh, I forgot about this. Just nuances about withdrawals and physical dependency that I just wasn't even really ready for. And luckily, I'm so night and day not the person that I was. And I put in a lot of work and so it was a, a very different experience having to do it this time, knowing now what I know about my, my body, my mind, my spirit, who I am, what I can control, what I can't control. Right. Um, busting all through narratives that aren't serving you, busting yep. through the old program of you are powerless. You, yeah. you know what I mean? That, which by the way, the program, I'm not dogging, that it's a very important place for many people, but it's not everybody's final destination because mm -hmm. of that. Most people won't stay sober because, because yeah. they think if they have to fucking go on pain meds that they relapse when that's not the case. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. a mindset for so not everyone, but most people talking about taboo subject per usual in TMI. Yeah. And I, trust me, I get it. Like I, I was taking, it, it was, you know, Percocet, it was, um, oxycodone and, and man, that stuff is, I, I can see why people and why I used to say words like evil, sinister, it really gets into your brain and convinces you that this is how, this is normal. This is how you're supposed to feel. And then like it triggers your lower reptilian brain, your reactive side. That's a hard thing to like get a handle on when, when like anxiety all of a sudden kicks in, things start hurting. Like your reaction is, it's a reaction that's like, I need to take another pain uh, pill. But you, but, but 
if I didn't take another pain pill, was I going to end up in the hospital? No. Okay, then I need to tell that thing to shut up. Really is is de- deceptively gets in there and it's fucking hard, man. Yeah, it, man. You know, having to do that and the vigilance that I had to have, the constant awareness that I needed to have was a fucking a lot of work, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know that from a personal level. Our drug use was different because I didn't know I had a problem until I had a problem. And because my doctors were prescribing this and because I had spinal surgery in my early 20s, like there was like reasons why I was taking this medicine. But my doctor, no one was like, hey, girl, your endpoint is just taking more. I was part of that like dope sick thing. I didn't know that even until I watched that show. Like mm-hmm. how many times I heard that word breakthrough pain? Oh, it's just breakthrough pains. We're going to up your five milligram of Percocet. What? These people were like giving me amounts of narcotics that should have been given to people who were dying of cancer and who were severely opioid resistant. They were you, Michelle, because you brought up the show. Yeah. They were using the one to 10 scale when I was in the hospital and someone said breakthrough pain. Someone said 20 milligram, uh, 10 milligrams or 20 for breakthrough pain while I was in the hospital. And I was like, these people aren't even up to speed. I remember this is what I had to do to break the opioid addiction that I was getting supplies. I wasn't like buying them on the street. I was getting them from a doctor. No problem. Even the, even the pharmacist, one of them is a family friend. He didn't even say anything. And so by the time I had to call my doctor, he wouldn't let me sever. Like he was like, oh, no, that's not how we do this. So I wrote a letter and sent it to him, certified mail, telling him that I was, I wanted this letter in my file and that I was no longer a patient of his and that I needed to find alternative routes to deal with this pain because Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to survive this. Our our experience may have been different, but I understand what you're talking about. Getting, I didn't know I was addicted. I didn't know I had a fucking addiction. I also didn't realize it was taking over the mental part of it. So when I stopped, I knew I didn't need that much pain medicine. So now looking back, that it wasn't just the doctors. I maybe got in there for that reason, but it was numbing out a lot of my trauma. Mm-hmm. giving me motivation to not sink into depression and all of this. It was definitely serving other purpose now that I look back on it and take accountability for that drug-seeking behavior that was there regardless of who was writing the script or where you were getting the pills. Yeah, um, and you're bringing up a very good point, which is that I wanted to just make the distinction between like getting high and having fun versus the pills work. Like giving you the motivation, you said, steering your mind away from trauma. They fucking work. That's why they're, that's why they're initially so addictive. Yeah. They were the greatest antidepressant <laughs> I've ever taken in my fucking life. Right. Yep. <laughs> like ever. It shut off the part of my brain that was like, you're not good enough. You're a failure. I had, I, I was using during the beginning of my motherhood, I not knowing that I was using drugs and then coming to the realization that it's numbing stuff because my having a child was bringing up the trauma in me, which I didn't even fucking know was there. What do you mean before you're in this cycle? And it's like, whoa, holy shit. This is not just because my back hurts. In fact, my back hurts because I don't feel supported, which is resilient, which is just a residual effect of my emotional pain and trauma that I'm carrying. Mm-hmm. This pill is numbing out that so I don't have to look at it. So when you do look at it, it's hella big. Yep. Good night. Letting that go because yes, 
Do we have addictive behaviors? Every single person on this planet does. Does it become a sickness and overtakes people? Absolutely. I'm not downplaying that. Mm-hmm. But I refuse to think that we, who we were five minutes ago, let alone five years, 10 years, 15 plus, is the same person that's steering the boat or, or witnessing and, and observing life? No. So why are you going to look through that? I'm powerless. That's the biggest part that I can't stand about that. I, I'm powerless against my addiction. I think that that renders people powerless in everything because you're speaking that into the world. That's a spelling. You're speaking that into your existence. Yeah. It, like you said, it's we're challenging what mainstream recovery says. In a sense, I, I, I really think it, it just needs to be clarified and worded better. That, do it. that pretending you don't have addictive tendencies isn't a good idea. It doesn't mean you're, you're, you are powerless. Yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. And listen, I have watched in my personal life, the program quite literally change people's lives. I've watched it change people's lives for like 50 plus years. And I have watched flourishing in these people's lives beyond anything you could ever imagine. And I've watched people who bought their four year chip and then walked away from it and had similar experiences like you, the program programs you out of the addiction and it reprograms you into something different. I like mm-hmm. to challenge people that we come up with these experiences like you to reprogram ourselves to the next version of both of those experiences. Yeah. They serve a huge purpose. If you were struggling with addiction, go to a meeting. I'm not even joking. Go to five meetings a day if you have to. You will find community, yeah. you will find safety, you will find tools, you will find prayer, you will find connection to divinity. Go. They serve a purpose. What I, I was just going to say that 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 confronted with that a situation today, if asked to help someone, that is the first recommendation I would mm-hmm. make because you have to distance yourself enough yeah. from chemicals to yeah. get the clear enough head so that it's not residual, addictive, and uh, like physical dependency things that are driving your thought, but yeah. you've really given yourself a good enough amount of distance to start to branch out spiritually in a way of thinking to identify what's best. And most likely this is years and years down the line, just so you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I I was going to say, I would, I wouldn't recommend anyone doing that without a a minimum of a year. A minimum. I'm like thinking three to five. Listen, motherfuckers, three to five. Cause that programming and that addiction runs deep. Those demons, if you, especially if you're not in shadow work, those things are like, Hey, to fucking rule your life. So like those things can be very, very deep. You have to go into that work and that doesn't happen overnight. Right. What the fuck the process, man? It is such a process. It always is. You're going to master that process so that process doesn't master you. you know? Yeah, because while you were doing whatever you were doing, drinking or whatever drug you were doing, like you said, Michelle, about numbing out and not having to face the trauma, like, and how that was this like benefit to you. It's also now worked to your detriment. You have to, you have to confront that at some point. You're going to, period. You have to. So, so now there's all this backlog of stuff that you have to hash through and, and deal with the way the rest of society. And can I add to that, T? Yeah. Not only do you have to do that, some may resonate with this that there is some like really shitty fucking things people have done to get drugs, use drugs. Mm-hmm. You don't even just have to yeah. deal with the trauma. There are people out there that are severely dealing with the actions of getting mm-hmm. said drug or being in drug scene. 
Yep. So it's like this whole fucking identity of pain and shame and blame. What I'm bringing to the light is the unpopular opinion of that that may not be the final destination on everyone's journey with mm-hmm. this experience. It surely wasn't with mine. I watching this with you has been just another solidification of wow, man, <laughs> like holy moly. If this doesn't go to show the gratitude and balance and like boomerang effect of like finding one extreme to the other and the balance within it, this was like your moment and just solidified that for me mm. watching it. Like that was really flipping intense, man, to watch you yeah. know you were going through that. Then to know that it was lined up in this whole twisted, very strong thread narrative of the spectrum of opiates. It was like, of course you're going to line up with that right now. Yeah. How's your, how's your clearing? <laughs> yeah. How Intense. Clearing. You just energetically douched yourself. It's still going on. I mean, yeah, there, it, it's, it's intense. There's, cause I don't want to go down the rabbit, but you know, my own personal rabbit hole too much, but there's just stuff that I, that it brought up that I even forgot about from my oh, addiction. Man. And then like, just this, this, there was for so long and it's still going on at a lower frequency of like this shitty toxic cloud of stuff and then being like, all right, I can release this and then staging and then, and then that fucking build up again. And then, okay, I can release this. And like, thank God I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if I can bring up a, a quote from an, an earlier episode of we're, we, we are products of our past, not prisoners of it. Yeah. You have to understand both sides of that. It's freeing to know that you're not a, a prisoner of it, but you are a product. Of it. Wait, and, and yes, we're not prisoners of it. And, and, and so stop making yourself a prisoner of your mm-hmm. past, but we are product of our past. And that is, see, it's that, that's that discretion, that, that, uh, discernment of, uh, this is what I can let go of. It doesn't mean. The experience, it's it's gone. Yeah. Um, it just means that self hatred and, and all of that stuff that's not serving me is gone. The experience is there, and that is there for us for our benefit. Mm-hmm. And so, understanding that pain, right, and letting go of uh, the parts that aren't serving you turns it into into a tool and as you do this and discover this process and and put in the work to keep doing it in your life that's that's all it takes to reach that spiritual mastery that you were talking about i mean i say it's all it takes it's fucking hard (laughs) it does it does feel good michelle he's like i'm such a fucking douchebag you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and I have to get that out so I can get it away from me. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was such a, a, a fucking idiot and a shithead. Like, and then letting go of that and that narrative so that it can become, take its place in the, in the larger part of who I am with all of my experiences. That right. All of those things that you were getting separating space from are all valid parts of yourself. They're in response yeah. to. They're in shedding light on. They're always there for, and just as important as the parts that we would deem as acceptable or good. 
good parts. Mm-hmm. That's shadow integration. That's integration. That's integration of self. That's allowing mm-hmm. those things to be spoke, allowing yourself to have your cringeworthy moments, but not letting them define you. Yeah. The quote that you used, I love because it's similar to that. It was a, it was a lesson, not a life sentence. Yeah. You no. Know, and it really goes to show. And I use that so much in my life, that phrase that it was a lesson, not a life sentence, especially when I get caught up in that dialect of those cringeworthy moments. Yep. Um, so I couldn't agree with you more where it's like going into those and navigating them is really where the mastery comes from. It's not avoiding them or being able to dismiss them as they arise or, or not having them arise often. It's being able to navigate them when they come and at the frequency that they come. Mm-hmm. I like, I, 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 you know, I'm right with you. Right. Yeah, because the, that what you said is the same process where it applies in other areas, not necessarily addiction. Yeah. So for anyone else that, that yeah. might apply to, right. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. it's always untethering. I've been getting a lot of people coming to me and being like, Will you, do you cut cords? I was like, no, nobody should cut cords. Like, mm. uh, like for real. Okay, are there circumstances? Yes. Should you be very fucking selective in who you're going to like energetically cut cords? Right. Don't go around cutting shits. You can be shrinking it, bringing awareness to it, looking at it. I can't help but feel like there's a similar dynamic of the overall theme is looking at it, focusing attention on it, releasing what isn't serving you anymore, and allowing yourself distance, space, and shrinking of said cords or dynamic or energy exchange or whatever, rather than severing, cutting, and making it be this like grandiose or nature that has to happen in mm-hmm. order for you to reach this level of mastery. It's little, tiny, subtle awareness tidbits throughout the day if i could throw out another quote that (laughs) healing is a process and not an event yeah i would i would add unfortunately healing is a process and not an event i know unfortunately dot 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 (laughs) (laughs) because yes like of course if we could if it were as simple as i i would like the toxic cord cut and leave the healthy ones and then snip snip and we're done that would be fantastic. That's just, it isn't how it works. Like yeah. you said, it's the the subtler, repetitive. And the bigger the cord, like here's the other thing, folks, who are like, hey, I'm going to so-and-so and they're going to do a cord cutting because they learned it in a weekend course online. No. <laughs> no, you're not. Because when we cut cords and if we're going to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, you're not just cutting cords that are attached to this lifetime. The thicker the tether, the heavier the lifetime connection. So you were cutting cords that are tethered to like the very essence of whatever the soul contract is. Don't fuck with your soul contract. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I know that sounds like woo-woo witchy shit, but the fact that like, I don't know why it's going into this, but I'm just going to let it be there. Like when we're looking to better ourselves, whether it's integrate an experience of addiction or cut a cord with a toxic person behavior experience, it comes through the subtleties of our conscious redirecting and our conscious awareness of where to focus our energy. You might be feeling confronted with something like wanting to cut a toxic cord to someone. And really where you are is you have to make a decision. And that it's not necessarily going to be easy either way. It's not clear which is it's the right way to go, and it's definitely or, or almost definitely not going to be easy no matter which way you go, right? We talked a little bit about this with Nick, too. Being in that circumstance, making that decision, 
and seeing it through, that is where that gain is. The, the, some of the biggest gains are, are made, right? Mm -hmm. That is a defining part of our, our path and who we are and who we are to become. So it sucks, but to try to find a workaround, mm -hmm. it, it just isn't necessarily in your best interest yeah with very 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 few exceptions but right for real find it you'll you'll find yourself in situations like that where you don't know what to do but you probably kind of actually do and yeah but knowing what to do it might be the right one yeah. you're you're going to be the only one making it you're going to be the only one answering to it that's is there some process that I could pay some amount of money? <laughs> yeah, right. Can right. please leave. And, and, and I'm, I'm not even faulting anyone for thinking that way. I've certainly. No way. Of course not. But and it's like, no. I have personally experienced that, that the biggest gains we make are, are, are seeing those things through, right? For like you sure. put all this work to get to this point and, and now like, Yes, you're on the edge and we're going to go over to the other side and we don't know what that looks like and that's scary and that, but that's life. And you're the only one who has to live as you, right? So as I'm hearing the process being broke down and just the conversation that's being had, I feel that right now people are so overwhelmed with change that even adding on another process of simply being aware of it, not just trusting anybody to kind of take care of it for you. Seems like such a daunting task. So I would just challenge that if that resonates with anybody, that the awareness of knowing you're feeling resistance to all of this is enough to give yourself a moment of self-presence because mm. your resistance is a moment of presence. Being super present with what we're talking about and having the awareness and kind of looking at it and having that conscious dialogue of like, I release this or I know what this is, tapping into our body. Is such a foreign thing for most people. I didn't, I guess I felt like we were on such a trajectory that people were in tune with their body that over the last 18 months, I've realized that people have completely become detached from their bodies. Mm -hmm. You have that awareness that causes quite literally a response within your body that you're feeling. So I would challenge the awareness of your resistance is enough, but then also feel that emotion. Emotions and feelings are not the same. They work in conjunction with one another. Your emotion is an experience you are having. Your emotions will trigger a feeling within your body. You can feel said experience somatically. It's not safe to be in our bodies for most people for whatever reason. So be kind to the process, especially with the shifts that we have going on. I was watching Shark Tank last night. Do you ever watch that show? Dude, I had it on while I was editing some promotional content for. Okay, so how weird it, is that? So but it's it was a wonderful. It was about the food safe. So yeah, yeah. we'd both be watching that at the same time. So that's weird. I love Kevin O'Leary, and so he was being a dickhead to that dude. Yeah, and, and was like, so stop crying and be a man, and. Kara was like, what an asshole. He's just being rude. I was like, or he's preparing him for the type of resistance he's definitely going to hit on, on his journey to, to make this a successful, profitable company. Mm, and then Lori and, and the GoPro guy or whatever got in and wanted to hear his story and like made him feel better. And then she was like, oh, I love Lori. And I was like, yeah, that's funny because Kara has 
some of that Lori in her, and I have some of that, that is wonderful in me. And, wonderful. Right. And uh, that I was like, he, I was like, because I, the, I turned into me defending him. I was like, he, I, I believe he, they, he really believes he's helping people when he is confronting them pre to prepare them for what they need to be ready for if they're going to continue down this entrepreneurship path to try to get to a place where he is and that he in in his mind he is helping them so i feel like that just a mirror of that sort of happened about making a decision and 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 then and then you were bringing in the like but be kind to yourself and understand how uh, awesome it is to get to even have that awareness was sort of like the the kevin and laurie thing right right hi i'm laurie hi oh, yeah. i'm laurie <laughs> No, I love listening to you talk because of the experience that you just went through. You have such a roadmap right now. And I feel like a lot of people are shedding that, that exoskeleton of this boundary and identity and safety that was built into, oh my God, I'm having major surgery. I can't have pain pills. I'm a fucking addict. Yeah. I can't go down that. I'm going to be shitting my brains out and be throwing up. I'm going to be sick to my stomach. I'm going to have leg kicks. I'm going to have withdrawals. Like, Yep. Went to this whole PTSD on top of that. So I feel like there's a lot of people, especially as life continues on in your journey, that you're going to be faced with experiences where you may have to challenge some of your narratives in order to be self-loving and healing on your journey. Mm -hmm. It's that fluidity of being able to rise to those challenges and make those decisions based on what's good for you during the lenses of that present moment, not what you are afraid you are or will become again. Yep. Yeah, because that narrative is so powerful for anyone who's in that situation. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean you can't go back on prescription pain medication, but you have to be prepared and, and have a plan as well, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and so that's what makes it tricky is if you don't need it, then you shouldn't take it. Mm -hmm. Right. So it makes it a fine line. But if your understanding of you can do this and people do it every day and that what happened however many months or years ago is not a recurring what's going to happen again necessarily. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's really important that understanding and being prepared for how you're going to and having a plan for how you're going to to go through that is all is all an important part of it it's the thinking that it's impossible because you're powerless it's that's doesn't that's not necessarily true it it doesn't necessarily serve us yeah to go that sure. way i Absolutely. i you know i i went the route i did the, refusing the pain medication and ended up calling 911 uh, awesome. just read in, you just literally read my mind the yeah. question i was going to ask you Knowing what now and giving the recovery and the complication that you've had, would you still decline the pain meds? Or would that inner dialect be so loud of like, you can't take pain meds, knowing what you, if you did and what was going to happen? No, I wouldn't turn them down, but I, I, I got to admit that I would be like, oh man, this is going to be longer and harder for me. Mm -hmm. Then for a person who didn't have these tendencies or doesn't have my history, and now I got to fucking figure out how I'm going to taper down, like, son of a bitch. Like, that would be yeah. feeling about it. But I wouldn't be worried about it because 
especially because just I just went I went th- through it and yeah. and it's uh, it's achievable. I think we were talking on the phone with opioids in particular. Like there's like a a boost, right? Like if it was a video game, you got plus two of everything, plus two health and stamina, and and then when you're not taking it anymore, you have minus two. And, and and going from plus two to minus two is a difference of four. It's not a difference of two. Right. And then that that kicks your butt whether you were just on pain meds for two weeks and 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 came off. Like it, it's because the the mental the mental part of it and then and then how your physiological response to that can be can be a big deal even if you don't have like long term dependency. Right. 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 Blows my mind. That's why every drug commercial, every pamphlet, how this works is unknown. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. We have no fucking idea what, what or how it's working, but this is what we think is going on. You know? Right. Yeah, I know. They drive me nuts. <laughs> Even the medical community can't tell you why this happens, but, be, but if you ask any fucking addict or anybody who's had to come off of pain meds for any reason or for any amount of time, of use, they're going to tell you the same fucking thing. Well, they don't know what's going on, but there's something fucking happening. We're all experiencing it to some varying degree. Yep. That's what it's like, yeah. And then the Purdue, like, you have the Purdue Pharma and, like, all of that. Like, these motherfuckers are living billion-dollar lifestyles still. And look at the millions and millions of lives affected and or ended because of this shit. Yeah. Blows my mind. Well, and the, the, pro- the problem is... There's more to fixing the problem than how much of what med you write, right? Which is why, which is where like methadone and Spoxone come in is here's, here's a med you can go on for life because to actually address the problem requires a certain amount of work that one, the medical field just isn't going to do. They don't feel that they have the time or that it's their problem. And two, another part of it that really isn't, it's personal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in almost all cases, addiction carries with or, or comes from personal experiences that, that, that drive those tendencies. And so they essentially do nothing, uh, create a problem and do, and, and do nothing. And it's, it's, it's kind of infuriating. It's the cycle of sickness. It's not called wellness. It's called illness. Yeah. You doctor, because you feel ill. You have fucking backwards. And the addiction yeah. and the cycle of addiction and the cycle of sobriety is, is nonetheless. People don't want to talk about that. We want to use a system that works, but isn't necessarily a fit for everybody. This is a huge problem. This is worse than COVID or any other pandemic that we're facing right now is yeah. opioid addiction. There's a huge rise right now on drug use and deaths from overdoses between the ages of 18 and 45. That, that's a huge group. Why are we not talking about that? That's a yeah, problem. Exactly. And as the years have gone by and I've heard of people from my hometown or who I went to high school with who are dying of drug-related and opiate-related deaths, mm-hmm. that, that's just still every year. Yeah. And and people who I'm like, what exactly? What? And, and and then I'm like, how many more people that I went to high school with are addicted right now and don't even know it or don't even know where to go to get help? And we're yeah. and there's really not much out there for. 
there's not because it's a one fit all program. You're either an addict or you're sober and you either yep. believe into the sobriety program and the addict program, but it's not cookie cutter. It's not like that because the people who aren't that quote unquote typical stereotypical drug addict, right? Have no idea how far down the addiction rabbit hole that they are. So maybe they don't fit into that. I'm dealing with somebody who has 50 year addiction who's well into their years that are looking for a sobriety program and there's nothing that can tailor that level. So like mm. not everybody's going to fit into that program. That person is not a fit for a meeting five times a day. Yeah. Where do those people fit in? Where do the people fit in that are under the age of 18 and are under mom and dad's footprint and are secretive and don't want people to know and feel like even though it's anonymous, it's not anonymous enough. Where do mm -hmm. those people turn to? Do we seriously give those people the mentality at that young age that you're fucking powerless? Is that what we're going with? Yeah. That identity already when they just need the tools to handle an emotional and maybe traumatic thing, uh, energy that they're holding. There's a lot that's there. I would challenge anybody who's dealing with maybe continued sobriety, relapsing. Maybe you're not in the mold of being a candidate for traditional sobriety. Reach out to us. We can yeah. at least get you in the right direction with a bunch of people who can help. You will not feel alone. Yep. Anybody who is flirting with the idea of sobriety, everyone's here to help you. Getting the trenches with you, not to judge you, not to shame or blame you, but to help you be the best version of yourself. Um. So what do you got going on the docket? Like, what do we want to give some peeps some updates about? Springtime is here, <laughs> more or less, right? Yeah. And, and um, yeah, we, well, life just happened, but I'm excited to get working on the first day retreat. Yeah. So good. So we got some stuff coming up. Make sure you look for events. If you're not signed up already on wiseupriseup.net, get signed up on my email list. I don't send them out often. People are like, I'm on your list. I don't think I've sent one out in like a year. I'm not going to just flood your inbox with just shit. Yeah. But when there is exciting stuff, it will come there. So springtime, let's do it. Do you have any Reiki classes coming up? Yeah, I plan on uh, a Reiki one and a Reiki two class in May. Nice. And uh, what if somebody got Reiki one from somebody else? Can they get Reiki two from you or do you have to attend both classes? Yes, they can get Reiki two from me, but contact me first. Just there's different, there's slightly different variations of Reiki. And so I am a Sui Reiki Rioho. And so just there's a couple things I got to, um, Make sure we're on the same page on, make sure we're on in alignment on. Sure. And usually I do them three weeks apart in case someone is looking to, well, because after getting Reiki one in the discipline, the way I learned it, it's 21 days need to pass before mm -hmm. getting Reiki two. So that's, I, I space them that way. Yes. So it cycles through the chakras. So like you're going to chakra cleanse for 21 days. Yeah. Like pay attention to the people you learn Reiki from, everybody. Uh, and the Reiki on these, it, there's a lot to it that you don't realize at first. Yeah. Uh, learning your lineage and, and, you know, who taught me and who taught them all the way back to the, the, the founder of it as a discipline, mm -hmm. as a healing discipline, mm -hmm. uh, carries a lot energetically with it that, like, really takes some time to integrate. There's, there's a lot to, but this is exciting because I know a lot of people want to get their certifications and it's a great practice and not everybody is going to 
go into a healing practice or a healing business and that's okay. I'm pumped that you're offering some May classes. How do people sign up for that? Is there a down payment? What does that look like? Yes. So the best way is to contact me by email at the spiritual at gmail.com, which is in the description. I can provide the, uh, I'm, I'm nailing down the dates. By the time this is up, I will have them. Uh, and uh, I can have my spleel all typed up, uh, that I can send over that give you everything you need to know. People are, are kind of surprised now when they reach out to me. I'm like, well, who referred you? I've been taking referrals only, but if you were listening to this, you are on the guest list. Just say I'm a TMI listener, Yeah, um, but I'm not being selective for no reason. I'm being selective because I really want to be of service and make the movement move. I don't want people using me as their navigation tool to base the decisions they're making in their life. Yeah. Well said. You know? So that's where I'm at. <laughs> The retreat's coming up. I'm so pumped for retreats. I went from like nothing for two years after being years and years of retreats, you know, all across the country. And now it's like, okay, let's start everything right now in New England. Now go. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Put it on your radar. There'll be some day retreats from TMI. I got retreats coming up on May 14th, June 11th, July 16th. There's that. There's a fall retreat that's under the Container of Curiosity series. You can find it on my web pages and on Facebook. And then the TMI retreats are to be determined. It would be cool to have our virtual retreat for an hour or two with some peeps and then have a kickoff event to our overnight retreat. Hell yeah. Dude, don't you miss it? Yeah, big time. Fucking big time. There's nothing like that container that's created on retreats. So excited. Yeah. All right, dope. Well, dude, thanks for your time today. I hope that you have a great weekend and we will chat soon. Yes. Thank All you. Right. All right, bud. All right. Okay, bye. bye.